Cities are fascinating places for most of us. Heck, I love cities. I wouldn't want to live anywhere but a city. Cities kind of have their own character, their own personality even, and part of that comes from the physical infrastructure of the city itself. Not just the people that were there, but the way it's laid out and the locations where certain things have happened. This has always been fascinating to me, and it's especially fascinating when you look at certain cities that have import above and beyond just being a large population center. For example, capitals like Washington, D.C., the capital of the United States. We're going to talk about weird Washington, D.C. today with a tour guide from Philadelphia, Boston, New York, and D.C., but she's based in Philadelphia, Fega Walresh, who is also, in addition to being a tour maven, the co-creator, writer, and host of the D-Listers of History podcast. Kind of a perfect combination. Hello, Ms. Horesh. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Very, very good. Uh, excited to talk about DC as I was kind of doing a little bit of research for this. I, I realized it's been years and years and years since I've been there and now I'm kind of like chomping at the bit to go back and visit DC again. Yeah, it's an interesting place. Um, I haven't tour guided there since the pandemic, but it's there was a lot of changes happening even before that. There's always a lot going on there. Sure, exactly. I mean, the you know, I think we've seen this with everywhere where I live in Prague. We've seen massive changes in just the last 11 years where the city just kind of woke up and went, oh, okay, I'll be in the 21st century. So I, I can only assume D.C. has has done similar things. So it would be very interesting to see some of the the new bars and food scene and, and things like this. And we'll talk about uh, some of those things like food trucks and, of course, the more um, permanent locations such as hotels and museums and uh, things that may or may not have happened in those places and may or may not be hidden in those places. I'd like to thank uh, Fega Horesh for talking to me today. And of course, everybody out there for listening to this episode of Conspiracy Clearinghouse. Don't forget, he reminds you again that you can subscribe to the podcast and uh, you can review us on IMDb. Somebody, anybody, just go ahead and do that. And uh, if you like what we do, you can donate via our Buy Me a Coffee page. You leave the world behind and enter a large chamber filled with boxes and crates as far as the eye can see. Welcome to The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. The podcast that takes a rather skeptical look at conspiracies and mysteries. Each episode will examine various conspiracy theories, most of which are not true, a few of which might be a little bit true, and even a couple that turned out, in fact, to be true. There are many boxes in the clearinghouse, and along the way, we'll look at some mysteries and hoaxes as well. We dare to look behind the curtain that's behind the curtain. I'm your host, Derek DeWitt. Welcome to the Conspiracy Clearinghouse. Fega, you've uh, done tour guiding uh, in uh, New York, Boston, and obviously Philadelphia, where you're based, of course, D.C. I, I love public history. I love mm. presenting history to people, to the public. I mean, when I was younger, I remember 
thinking it would be very cool to be on the History Channel back when the History Channel actually did history. I, I loved the idea of making history accessible. And mm -hmm. it's a really fun way to do that. Mm, for sure. And then not that long ago, you started up this podcast, The D-Listers of History, which is something that's near and dear to my heart, which is uh, finding stories and people that you probably don't know that much about. Maybe you've heard a passing reference to them, or maybe you've never heard of them. And yet these people uh, were either involved in events that have uh, far-reaching historical consequences, or in fact, kicked them off. Yeah, it's incredible the people who I had never heard of who were so key to a various historical events. Obviously, I just did Daniel of Beckles, who I'd never heard of. He wrote the first courtesy text in the English world. It's not in English, it's in Latin, but it was written in England. But if you're a medievalist, he's like George Washington. Like everybody Ooh. knows Daniel of Beckles. Right, right. But, but I don't know Daniel of Beckles. Um, and there's people who were famous in their time and we've just sort of forgotten about like Father Divine here in Philadelphia. Big name in his time. But uh, besides the name of a now sort of gentrified apartment building... <laughs> Um, right. an old Divine Lorraine Hotel, uh, people at least my age anyway don't really know who he was. But See, but still, that's what, that's what I love. I love that there's still a trace. There's like a little trace. Yes, it's this apartment building name, but still there. He's still there, kinda. Yeah, and there he he has some followers who are still doing their thing, though they've shut down a lot during the pandemic because they're older. Sure, so sure, of course. They used to course. let anybody come in and eat with them, but that's not a thing anymore. I remember very distinctly walking through Roslyn, which is one of the the Virginia neighborhoods outside Washington, D.C. Mm. And I was like walking to the grocery store or something. And I saw this plaque in front of a, a parking garage that noted that this was the parking garage where, you know, where Woodward and Bernstein met Deep Throat. Oh, and right. I was just like, oh, it's just like right here. Like, it's just a block from my hotel like <laughs> wow that's crazy yeah that would be i would be one i would go check out for sure yeah i mean it's a it's a parking garage <laughs> but it's there <laughs> it's not, it was chosen because it was nondescript yeah <laughs> so um when we're looking at washington dc uh, again the whole country's pretty young washington dc is not as old as uh, the other cities that you're so familiar with, New York, Boston, Philadelphia. But, you know, it's older than where I'm from, San Francisco. So, I mean, there's certainly a lot of history there and not just necessarily political. One thing that is noteworthy about it is that it was very much planned. It was a planned city. And, and of course, the architect of this is Le Enfant. Pierre Lafont, although everybody in D.C. just calls it Lafont because he now has a, a metro stop and a square named hmm. after him, hmm. which is interesting because uh, people at the time did not like him very much. Hmm. He apparently was a little difficult to work with. Uh, he was French and he had a very specific vision. I'm not sure if he like knocked down this guy's house or just his porch, but he like removes some piece of a house of somebody important because it was in the way. And he was fired partway through the process. Uh, mm. But he had this, this vision of this like very grand city. So the first planned city in the United States was Philadelphia, but we're mm -hmm. a Quaker city. So it's very, it's very boring. It's just, uh, just a grid pattern. Mm. But in Washington, D.C., he wanted to have these grand boulevards going to these squares with these beautiful art and fountains and stuff in them. And 
that that is what it is. And as a result, it's got this weird thing of being difficult to navigate, but it has like lots of straight lines. It's not like when you're in London or Boston or someplace like that, where it's just sort of random. I think that's where you get some of these like weird Masonic symbol stuff. Mm-hmm. Because, right. Because the yeah. city is, I mean, I urge anybody to just, uh, while listening to this, just go out there and, and just pull up a map of DC and you'll see that there is a grid pattern, but overlaid over that grid pattern are these sort of larger streets, wider streets that are at diagonals. And so you get yes. these very interestingly shaped blocks. Yeah. And also it's it's a city that's split up into quadrants, which is mm-hmm. very confusing for people coming in there for the first time. Like at the end of an address, it'll say like Northeast or Northwest or something. And that is a very important part. Of right. If you're going to 15th Street and it's supposed to be Northeast and you go to 15th Street Northwest, you're like, I am hell and gone from where I need to be. Where am I? What's happening? And the Capitol <laughs> building's in the very center, or at least the center of the grid pattern. It was mm. once the center of the geographical city as well, but it no longer is. I will admit, if you pull back at a certain uh, scale, you will see that there are, with the White House at the apex, there are some streets that come down to a kind of a point. So it's like a triangle. And then there are other little triangles coming off there. And I suppose if you really, really were already looking for it, you might think it was sort of the bottom half of a pentagram, a pentagram that let Enfant put in the city plans. And that's because he was a Freemason. Yeah, it's nonsense. First of all, the font wasn't even wasn't even a Mason. But um, but Masons do love putting their symbols on things to other masons hey just to let you know this place is friendly for us yeah it's just sort of it's just sort of be like hey we were involved and especially in those days we we consider ourselves such a young country of course you know the lenape had been here and so forth but from Mm. a european perspective it was very young and there was a lot of desire to sort of connect to something older that's why we have a lot of like Greek looking like sort of Greek and Roman-esque architecture in Washington, D.C. is an attempt to connect us to the like Roman Republic and things like that. Freemasonry was a really obvious way for a lot of the founding fathers to feel like they were part of something old and important. It, it doesn't seem to be any more of a like shadowy organization than like any other social club with predominantly rich people in it, like skull and bones or whatever. Like right, yeah. or on the lower the lower end of the of the scale, you know, the Elks Club or the Shriners. Right. Like, do they help each other out? Yeah, sure. I'm sure they do. Yeah. Um, that's networking, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> that's never- exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> and they did like putting little symbols on things and you can find it. It's it's kind of like a fun Easter egg hunt when you're mm. looking at old buildings. But I think the question I always ask, first of all, is why? Right. Uh, if you're if you're trying to hide the fact that you're building this city to be the seat of power for a secretive organization, why would you put these symbols out there for everybody to see? The other question is like, how many people would have to be involved with this? Mm. And anyone who's spent any time paying attention to United States politics, or frankly politics, I think, of any country, they can't decide what to call the French fries in the cafeteria. Like, when's the last time Congress did anything? 
we always talk about how, you know, there there was so much more civility. And so, no, there wasn't. Actually, back in the days we're talking about when they were building Washington, D.C., Jefferson and Adams and Hamilton, all those guys were lambasting each other in the press mm. uh, with the most absurd pseudonames. Like my personal favorite is a Virginia gentleman. Huh, I wonder who that is. They were arguing about the minutiae, too. And the idea that they couldn't settle in on some really key important issues that the, these guys, frankly, did really care about. Like, they cared about founding a a government that was functional. Why they got so mad at each other. Like, if they didn't care, they wouldn't be mad at each other. Right. Um, that, they, that they would somehow be able to come together on something so inane. So, by the by, by the way, we're going to hide a pentagram in some of the streets just north of the White House. Everybody cool with this? Yeah, sounds like a great idea. That's a fantastic use of our time and expenditure good good going let's do that because what because because we're gonna forget that we're masons yeah and they also they fired lafont there was another guy who actually did most of the work um yeah so we got banneker um who actually did most of the work and he's black so of course he wasn't remembered as the guy who did most of the work of course not he does have a statue um with the most impressive thighs you've ever seen i don't know what the artist was doing maybe he was famous maybe maybe he was famous for his thighs Famous for having very buff thighs. Yeah. They had a hard time even figuring out what the capital was going to be. It has the worst weather and it floods all the time. It was actually a a problem if it rained a lot. There was one season where it rained. I mean, it seemed like every other day. And Mm. you like couldn't get to some of the memorials without wading through gross Potomac water. Even though they have like all these locks set up to prevent flooding. But at a certain point, there's just too much water. (laughs) They did (laughs) used to have canals. Oh, really? Um, Independence and Constitution were both canals originally. And when the Civil War first broke out, a lot of Union soldiers came to D.C. and wrote about how disgusting the canals were. and They smelled so bad. Right. Well, that's what you want when you go to your nation's capital and you go, oh, it's a sewer. Awesome. Yeah. I'm so proud. (laughs) It's a little nicer looking now. A couple of places and things in D.C. were talked about in a previous episode about uh, American monuments, specifically the Washington Monument, which has a lot of conspiracy and uh, pseudo history, pseudo archaeology people freaked out about because, you know, it's an obelisk. And there are a number of bizarro theories covered in that episode link in the uh, episode notes. But uh, one of the things you hear from those sorts of people is that uh, this street plan, which is not a typical grid for an American city, uh, had other purposes that, in fact, it helps turn the entire city into a giant weather controlling machine uh, with the Washington Monument as its sort of antenna or its laser gun or I don't know, it just depends on the particular theories. This kind of stuff always cracks me up. And yet, while people are busy wasting their time with things like this, writing, you know, furiously tapping away on their keyboard to write a blog post about the latest uh, intelligence from their alien friends about the city structure and the layouts of the streets in D.C. In fact, there are things going on there that people don't know about. For example, the city is actually covered underground with a series of tunnels. Yeah, I've been to many of them. Um, really? Yeah, I mean, not the secret ones. I mean, right. secret, quote unquote. They're not that secret. Right. Um, by the way, the weather thing, mm-hmm. I cannot imagine Washington, D.C. would be as disgusting as it is in the summer if they could control the weather. Yeah. But so you've been in some of these tunnels. Yeah. 
Yeah, because some of these tunnels are not that interesting. And and this is the thing is like, <laughs> and we know some, I'm sure there's ones we don't know about, because that's actually a useful thing. Mm. So there's a tunnel that goes from, well, there's several tunnels that go from where the offices of the various like representatives and senators are to the Capitol building. Some of them that are further away even have like a little train that I haven't seen. Ah, uh, uh, that would be fun. Is it, do you know, know. is it on rail? It must be on rails, right? It has to be. I've not actually seen it because um, I've only ever gone through reps who were like a little bit less mm. important, like they're like newer. So they have like the crummy offices right. um, and like Rayburn and places like that. Uh, but they're just tunnels and people mm -hmm. walk through them because they don't want to go through the weather. And there's a tunnel that goes from the Capitol to the Library of Congress, which mm -hmm. I highly recommend people using because then you don't have to go through security twice if you start in the Capitol and then you go to the Library of Congress. So that's open way. to the public? Yeah. Oh, cool. That's kind of yeah, cool. You just go down a tunnel. But there are other tunnels. There's some that are um, under the Capitol that are no longer in use because, mm -hmm. I don't know, they're just really old. And that's where there's this ghost cat that... <laughs> is supposed to exist um some <laughs> this story is bananas the security person back in like i don't know the 19th century or something like that he was a known alcoholic and like was drunk and passed out and woke up and he said he saw this giant cat that was like a panther oh so we're not talking and kitty cat we're talking cat yeah i mean they say cat but like sometimes it's like a big cat sometimes it's a normal cat so they, they claim that they'll leave footprints and stuff. I mean, it's, I guess if you believe in that sort of thing. <laughs> so there's a ghost smug. panther roaming the halls under the Capitol building. I mean, you have to wonder, Apparently. where was it on January 6th? You think it would have uh, sprung to the know, building's right? Uh, assistance, right? You know? Now, I understand also it's prohibited to sit on the floor anywhere in there. Yeah, and that's because people have and continue to do that as protest. I don't know why that means in the visitor center very tired 13 year olds can't just sit down while they're waiting for the bathroom. I could just see the security guys. Are you making some kind of a protest kid? Now there wasn't there also, isn't there something about like the clocks in the Capitol building have lights yeah. to tell people it's time to vote or something. Yeah. And I don't know how they work. And I don't know that anybody really knows how they work anymore because they have, you know, cell phones. I'm sure some of the people have been there for like decades probably know how they work. But if you ask the interns, they're like, I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> right. um, but if you look at the clocks in places that are frequented by representatives, mm -hmm. not in the visitor center, but if you're in those tunnels or in like the various buildings that have their offices, which by the way, you can just walk into. I mean, there's mm. security, but like your people don't realize you can just go to your rep's office. I mean, they don't love it if you don't tell them ahead of time, but like too bad. They have these these clocks with all these like weird lights on them. Mm. And it looks very conspiracy-esque. And apparently there's a system, I don't know what it is, uh, that tells you all kinds of information about what's going on in the chambers by looking mm. at these clocks. Mm. Uh, I think that's got to be Dan Brown's next, uh, next book, right? The Capital Code. Well, and that's the thing is with all this stuff, and I'm not I'm not one of these history people that just like rains on people's parades. Like, right. you know, I enjoy Hamilton as much as the next person. Right. Like, oh, I but, love it. Um, but like there's actual stuff happening. So like people talk about the tunnel from the White House to the Capitol. I don't know. Obviously, I haven't been down there, but I doubt it. If for no other reason than the legislative and the executive branches have always had sort of a contentious relationship. A tunnel to the church 
by the White House is supposedly a thing. Ah. Um, maybe it's not, though, because for some reason, President Trump decided to, like, walk across uh, Lafayette Square during those protests. And I was like, wasn't there a tunnel he can take to get over there? <laughs> there is one for sure between the Smithsonian Castle and the Natural History Museum. Uh, I also heard that the, the walls of the Capitol Dome are hollow and have a bunch of staircases inside of them. Yes. Yeah, so I haven't seen this myself. I had a tour guide friend who said he'd been up there. So there was a previous dome to the Capitol. So if you look at the Capitol building, it's actually, you can tell it's it's two different colors uh, because they built the original Capitol, Capitol building and then the Congress got so large that they needed larger chambers. Sure. And so they just added on on either side. And then the dome kind of looked weird and small. And um, I think it was like wood or something too. At any rate, they decided to replace it with this cast iron dome that's there now, but it's bigger. And so there's space in between. And I've been told by a tour guide friend that he'd been up there because senators are allowed to bring people up into the dome because they wanted to keep the old dome because it has all the, you know, the apotheosis of George Washington and all that stuff. Oh, sure. All the stuff, all the stuff on the inside. Sure. Of course. Yeah. Because we have to have a image of George Washington ascending into heaven in our Capitol building. Right. Um, that's not, that's not weird and pagan at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's very strange. <laughs> um, <laughs> but apparently senators can go up there, but no one else. So I, that's, that's a goal of mine one day is to have a, a Senator owe me one. That's right. You need to, of, you need to get a Senator in your pocket so you can get that dome access. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see it. You can sometimes see people walking around on top of it. Just, you know, and it's just senators bringing their family or whatever. I assume as a as a tour guide, you probably spent quite a time at the Capitol building. In the rotunda, there's the the Women's Movement Monument by Adelaide yes. Johnson, um, which is a sculpture, and it shows three busts, Lucretia Mott, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and Susan B. Anthony. Uh, three, you know, very important women who were heroes of the suffragette movement. And then there's this uncarved kind of lump of marble behind them. And there are a lot of, I don't want to call them conspiracy theories, but there's a lot of, a lot of tongue wagging and a lot of speculation as to what that could possibly mean. I don't know why it's so complicated for people. Um, <laughs> what they tell you, what they tell you on the tour is that it's supposed to represent like whoever the next great female leader will be and i don't know how much of that is just like as we're talking beforehand about tour guideisms where tour guides just say stuff and how much of that is actually the intention of the artist but there's right, a lot because of you surely surely there's been a woman since you know the 20s <laughs> since it was given to well, the capital 21 like inspirational right like so this is like a, like an unknown soldier kind of a thing yeah but th this is used a lot in washington dc like the MLK memorial is done in a way that makes it look unfinished. Right. With the idea that it's supposed to be that his work is unfinished. Like this mm -hmm. is a very common trope in art. Uh, I guess that was commissioned by the National Women's Party uh, in 1921, which is the year that women got the vote. And they said, okay, here you go, U.S. Capitol, you can have it. And the Capitol went, oh, wow, thanks. That's great. And then they put it in the basement where it stayed <laughs> until Mother's Day 1997 when it was finally I mean, moved into the public view in the rotunda. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many statues in that place. Because this is the thing is each each state sends two statues. And then ah. on top of that, there's just 
people that somebody thought should have a statue in the Capitol. So uh, some years ago, uh, when he was president, Barack Obama came here to Prague uh, and spoke in the uh, square in front of the castle, uh, up in the castle district. And, uh, you know, my wife and I went to go see him, of course. And one of the things we noticed is, you know, we've seen other people speak uh, in Prague and in that location. uh, But this time, like every building around the square, there was a sniper. (laughs) We were like, oh, wow, that's crazy. That's actually the case in D.C. as well. Like you'd you'd be shot. It's not in your face. We're not doing police state stuff here. But if you know where to look and what to look for, there is an astonishing amount of security in that city. Yes. So there's a lot of obvious security, like where you go into a building and they check your bags and so forth. But around places like the White House, especially, there's a lot of security. So the White House, the security is some of it's obvious and some of it's not. So they do have snipers on the roof, but they always wear white. So they're a little hard to see, Mm. but they're not like hiding per se. They're just also not like, hi, I'm a sniper standing over here. And they've got, you know, the big old fence and then the second fence, because the big old fence didn't keep people out during the Obama administration. No, uh, we had how we had a plane crash on the lawn. It was like, okay. Hmm. And that guy in the Pikachu hat that just like jumped over the fence and they yeah, tackled yeah, him yeah. on the lawn. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, when that happened, they added a bunch of bike racks so you couldn't get up to the actual fence anymore. And there's just a lot of people around. So so in Washington, D.C., there's a ton of different police organizations and they all have different responsibilities and as a result some of them like secret service and whatever they're just really focused on specific things i don't even think i know how much in dc i was watched or whatever um as much as anybody cared what i was doing because they they've had a lot of stuff happen like everywhere you go there's these huge planters and those are there because of oklahoma city they're trying Uh... to you know keep somebody from driving into american history museum or whatever that's actually, I've been told by tour guides who have been around longer than I have. That's that's when a lot of this changed. Apparently, there wasn't that much security in Washington, D.C. until after Oklahoma City. Now, uh, I'm going to toss something out to you that uh, I guess was on a, 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 the Reddit subthread, Washington, D.C., surprisingly, uh, where somebody had asked if anybody knew any crazy conspiracy theories that they thought might be true about DC and you get a bunch some of the things that we've talked about of course there's just tons of stuff you know the Smithsonian is hiding evidence that uh, giants once walked the earth and uh, all this kind of stuff but the best one is by somebody who was using the uh, internet handle inherit the wind and it says quote best one I've heard without any evidence is that some of the copious food trucks that dot the mall La Enfant federal triangle area are actual either spies or or federal agents keeping an eye out for crazy people or foreign spies. I'm not saying that's impossible, but here's the thing with the food trucks. Um, It is extremely expensive to get a permit to sell food on the National Mall. Expensive to the point where it is not worth it to food truck owners. Like you'd have to to charge $30 for a burrito. Right. So what they do is they go anyway. This is why they're usually only there on the weekends. They go anyway and they sell stuff. And if a like policeman or something is walking up, they have like people watching out. Like they've got like lookouts and they like warn. It's like a game of telephone, like down the line of food trucks and they all close and wait for the the police to leave. So it's like Jinkies, Jinkies, the cops. And then everybody hides out. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. And if you've already (laughs) bought something, sometimes they'll hand you your food out of the back door. 
Um, <laughs> and it, it was it was obnoxious to a point where I stopped having student groups eat at the food trucks, even though they really enjoyed it, because you, we had these really tight schedules. And if you only have an hour and the food trucks all close because like somebody from the Metropolitan Police decided to do their job, it, you're kind of stuck. In my experience, those food trucks are owned by recent immigrants who absolutely do not have the permits that they're supposed right. to have. And you know they don't have the permits because anytime anybody official comes by, they close up and leave. At the end of the day, D.C. is still a city. It's easy when you're in that part of D.C. around the National Mall to forget that you're in an actual city that right. does city things. Mm. And then you have these like illegal food trucks. And... <laughs> It's just like, okay, great. This is awesome. DC's a real place. I read that in International Park, which is up near the Venice UDC metro station, there's a tree that is supposed to be a cutting off of a tree in Lincolnshire that is supposedly the tree that Isaac Newton was sitting under when the apple fell on his head. And he went, ooh, gravity. The cutting was in 1957, uh, so it took them a long time to get around to doing this. But I guess that whole area up uh, up near Van Ness is a lot of embassies. And so as a result, that tree is protected by the Secret Service. I mean, it's plausible because that area <laughs> is really weird. I actually got in trouble. I didn't get in trouble. I potentially got in trouble for spending too much time outside the Iranian embassy at one point. Ah, um, what yeah, were you doing there? Hmm? I, I was having a conversation with a, with 20 teenagers about the nature of leadership and uh. <laughs> and um, how how like diplomacy between countries works. Mm. And I didn't expect there to be an issue because it's a dark embassy. Nobody's been in there since 79, which is part of the interesting story of it. And I, I was standing there with these teenagers uh, and I noticed a cop car come up and like stop for a sec. And then they left. And I was like, OK, they're just checking me out. Like and they mm -hmm. say I'm just like a tour guide. I've got my like badge on or whatever. And then some more cop cars come and start parking nearby. And I'm like, OK, I get the message. <laughs> and I left. Um, <laughs> you don't got to tell me twice. <laughs> yeah. But like there's all these things. Like, there was a, a somebody one of the embassies like killed someone in one of the traffic circles oh. by accident like they hit him with their car and there was a whole lot of hullabaloo because they couldn't be prosecuted oh because they were they were staff for an embassy yeah yeah uh -huh. so it's diplomatic in fact i think it was i think it was actually the ambassador oh who did it yeah so there's a lot of weird stuff in that part of the city and uh, the last thing I want to hit you with, which is something I just recently came across, is the neighborhood of Friendship Heights, which is kind of up north of the of the National Cathedral, right on the, I guess we call it a border with Maryland. Mm -hmm. uh, and apparently, if you go to the Friendship Heights neighborhood, you start seeing a bunch of public art that is all time-oriented. Clocks, sundials, hourglasses, uh, some of them are public art, some of them are in parks, some of them are on buildings, and some are even stuck into the sidewalk as well. Now, that one of the rumors is that some building in the area paid an artist to do a bunch of uh, sort of clock or timekeeping uh, related arc. Why not? And then it just kind of it kind of took off and local businesses started to add clock designs into their logos and things like this. Other people say that it's because 
Friendship Heights is actually a kind of a strange nether zone, a liminal space where time itself flows differently. I mean, that would explain why <laughs> members of Congress struggle with getting anything done in a reasonable amount of time, given that a lot of them live up that way. Um, <laughs> I haven't been up there. Um, I've been around the cathedral a lot. That's, that area is really wealthy. Wouldn't be surprising to me if people decided to put a bunch of public art in. What about clocks? I, say, sure, I mean, why not? Like, when I say wealthy, I mean, literally, like... If you like walk around, it's like these mansions and stuff, but you're in DC. Mm -hmm. Sidewell Friends is over there where um, the Obamas sent their daughters to school. Oh, right. I gotcha. So maybe uh, time does. Maybe yeah. that's how those girls did so well. I'm not saying that they don't uh, have the brain power. Of course they do, but they did seem to excel. And so perhaps they were taking a page out of uh, Hermione Granger and her uh, time device in one of the Harry Potter books and movies where she was actually managing to use time magic to attend multiple classes the at time once. Turner, yeah. Yes, the time um, turner. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Or I mean, there's a real this is this is always my my saw is like there's actual stuff going on insofar as when you have the money and the influence to be able to attend one of these elite institutions, it sets you up mm. to be able to have a lot of connections or mm -hmm. you have an excellent i'm assuming they got an excellent education there it just gives you a leg up in ways that aren't like it's not a conspiracy per se it's just sort of how things i mean we, everybody got really excited for a little bit about um the kids of actors who also became actors nepo babies nepo babies yeah yeah, yeah and i mean I pol politics is like what are you talking about we've been doing this for generations right like i i was so confused by that because i was like yeah now, <laughs> oh, oh you don't say rich people rich and powerful people give uh, their own friends and family uh advantages the rest of us don't have huh who would have thought and there's and you know there's a conversation to be had about whether that's appropriate or not but mm. Mm. it's happening and mm. it's not secret. It, it's just, that's just how our system works right now. The reason right. I think it's important to think about these conspiracies and stuff, especially in a place like Washington, DC is yeah, it's fun, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's always fun to read about this stuff, but I, it can be really distracting from what's actually going on. And mm -hmm. that makes me sound like a conspiracy theorist myself. But I mean, when I say actually going on, like, I'm not talking about like weird symbols and stuff. Like I'm talking about like, what is the Congress doing? What are the various like lobbyists doing? And this is all, most of it is publicly available information. Mm. Not all of it. But if you're spending all your time worrying about if there's a pentagram in the city plan, you might not notice that your representative is like voting to limit your rights. And so that's what I think is really important with this stuff and why I think it's important to debunk this stuff as much as possible is because conspiracy it, it means, you know, a bunch of people working together to achieve a goal. And yeah, that happens every day in Washington, D.C. It's just not usually about like weather systems and giants. Like it's, you know, <laughs> like this is the Smithsonian hiding the evidence of giants. I don't know. But you know what I do know is that they have a lot of human remains that they acquired in very questionable ways that belong to indigenous communities that want them back, mm -hmm. um, which to be fair to the Smithsonian, they are working very hard on that. You know, I, I guess I'd rather focus on what's real. This is something I, I, I find all the time, uh, certainly whenever I travel, but whenever I even just research things, uh, especially these sort of location-based episodes, it's like the world is so interesting. That's enough for me. Yeah. 
I don't need I don't need dimensional rifts in space through which poor semi-corporeal shape-shifting soul-sucking creatures I'm okay with just, you know, going to see uh, some like the International Spy Museum and, uh, and uh, you know, go to uh, different locations that are interesting where things really did happen. Yeah. And in D.C., it's just there's so much of that. I mean, yes. you can't. There's so many places that are just normal places that are like extraordinary things happened or not extraordinary things, but are interesting things. It's especially, you know, we're talking about federal government, like there's always stuff going on on the local level. That's, you know, like mm. right now in in Philadelphia, we're trying, we're, we're dealing with a developer trying to build a stadium in the middle of our Chinatown. Oh. And I can't help as somebody who has spent a lot of time in DC to look at DC's Chinatown and see what their stadium did to that neighborhood, which was decimated. Mm. Um, like no Chinese people there anymore. They're, they have like a Fuddruckers that's written in Fuddruckers right. is written in Mandarin, like like that. Oh, that's Chinese. just sad because that's too bad because that's a great Chinatown gate. Oh, it's so good. There's a Chinese restaurant there. I believe it's called Walk and Roll, which is where, oh. speaking of conspiracies, the John Wilkes Booth and his and his buddies all met. Oh. So that stuff's all over the place, and there's yeah. like real stuff. So do yourself a favor and go out there and uh, discover your local community or the largest collection of uh, buildings uh, that is near you if you're living in a particularly rural area. There is tons and tons and tons of stuff in uh, every uh, location, places like Washington, D.C., which was kind of almost designed uh, for this purpose, certainly has many, many places as well. You can uh, check the episode notes for links to some of the things we've talked about today, including the Atlas Obscura page on Washington, D.C., which lists 269 cool, hidden, and unusual things to do in Washington, D.C. It's a fascinating place and uh, very much worth a visit. After all, if you're an American, it's your capital. You should see it once. Well, you know, uh, yeah. I could talk about this stuff forever. I love travel. I love uh, I love cities. I love talking about weird stuff. So this is this is my uh, bread and butter right here. But uh, it's time to call it quits for this episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank my guest, Fage Horesh, co-creator, writer, and host of the D-Listers of History podcast. You can find a link to that in the episode notes as well, as well as a tour guide for uh, Philadelphia and Boston, as well as New York and D.C. Uh, thank you. Super interesting stuff. It makes me want to go back. Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, maybe uh, maybe next time we can talk about Philly. Yeah, always down to talk about my city. <laughs> All right. And that's the thing. I think uh, I think people should be house proud. And uh, part of being house proud is to embrace the weirdness. Thank you again, Fagan, for talking to me. And thank you, everybody out there for listening. Thank you for visiting The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. We're closing now, but we'll open another crate in the next episode. Until then, thank you for listening. Thank you.